The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 137. We're in a series, Pastor Daniel and I, called Heart Cries. And this is a time of great emotion, and we need to learn how to express and to process uh, and experience our emotions in a healthy, uh, spiritually forming way. And the book of Psalms teach us to do just that. In Psalm 137 tonight, the title of the message is Praying Our Anger. Praying Our Anger, we've looked at confession, we've looked at joy, we've looked at worship, uh, we've looked at tears. Well, tonight we are looking at Sadly, for most of us, at least for myself, uh, an emotion that I experience sometimes far too often. But tonight we'll see the right place, the right time, and the right way to experience and to express the emotion of anger. Psalm chapter 137. And uh, just before I begin, I also want to let you know, uh, as we do every Wednesday night, we receive and celebrate communion together. And so when we close out this message, uh, I'm giving you props and a cue now to get a piece of bread, cracker, some juice to celebrate with us together, the Lord's table and as a family. Psalm 137. The psalmist writes, by the waters or more familiar passage, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion on the willows, there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Verse 7, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Father, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you, God, to gather as a church where two or more are gathered. We, we think of the word that says the cloud of witnesses even surround us. And Lord, we acknowledge more than anything else your presence. So speak to us now, challenge us, convict us, but also encourage us to express, to pray our anger. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared a diagram with you and I was thinking about the stages of grief. Uh, most of us are familiar with those stages of grief. Um, and there should be a, a diagram that comes up on the screen in just a second. But those stages of grief that say acceptance and uh, denial, anger, and depression, we've experienced some of those. And as I was thinking about this, I, I looked at, and there was another uh, diagram that uh, should come up on your screen here in a second that kind of more is indicative and reflective of my experience over the last oh, two months or so. Uh, basically, if I experienced all these emotions in, in one day, and many times it seems like at the same time. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about tears and talked about grieving and what do we do and how do we turn those tears, the Bible says, are seeds that can be turned into ultimate joy. But lately, and perhaps beginning last week for me, there was this emotion that kind of caught me off guard of anger. And I don't need to tell you what it was for, but I'm guessing you probably have felt the same at certain people. 
just the circumstance that we are in. You've gone from fear to disbelief to to grieving to now anger. Like, when is this going to be over? Anger, am I going to have a job to go to when this is all over? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? What are they doing in Washington? What are they doing in Sacramento? And we wonder, and yet we pray and we, we vacillate back and forth. For some of you, you're angry. Like, what in the world is common core math? And why am I obliged to teach this to my kids? I don't know what your anger is, but I'm sure you have felt it to some degree. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was honest in admitting my, my challenge and my need for God to form me to tap into those emotions that bring tears. But I have to confess tonight, as we look at this emotion, this is one that far too often I experience. Far too often, it's the go-to, it's the easy emotion. It's, it's the emotion that just is right there on the surface and it's something that God is dealing with. It's the emotion that just is kind of a, a constant companion in some way or another. You see, our psalm tonight, as I read it, man, it's, it's shocking. It starts off beautiful, kind of lamenting. Maybe some of you remember that song that was penned by the rivers of Babylon. We sat and wept. And you're like, wow, yeah. I mean, it's, it's grievous. There's lament, but it's kind of catchy. But then you come to the end of the psalm. And even as I read it out loud, I could almost, through, through the camera, hear the gasps, the collective gasps. Did, did I just hear that? Babies being dashed against rocks? This is in the Bible? This is what the, the man of God is praying to God? Is this okay? And it, there's almost like an embarrassment that this is here. It's like we've got to kind of apologize. I, I, I'm sorry, it's in there. No, that's not what we should do. We've talked about how the Psalms, they are a casebook. They present us real life examples, real people experiencing all the stages of grief, all the different emotions. You see, we come to Psalms sometimes naively and think, oh, I'm going to find a, a piece of beautiful poetry, something that'll look nice embroidered on a pillow, something that will lift my spirits and give me a, an inspirational thought for the day. And oh, there's lots of Psalms that are beautiful, poetic. But if you really study and pray the Psalms, you realize there are some people who have white hot anger. How long, O oh Lord? And tonight is one of those Psalms where we find somebody seriously angry. We see him bringing it before the Lord, expressing his anger, dealing with his anger. And we can respond in a couple of ways. We can, we can be embarrassed. We can wish it wasn't there. In fact, I read about some churches that have um, corporate readings of the Psalms. They edit this part, the last two verses out anyway. They don't even read that part. Is that an option for us? No. Well, we, we can't do that. What's our approach? The Bible says in, in the New Testament, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable. It's useful. So that the man, the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped. So how do we approach a text like this? Well, we have to say this is all Scripture. Scripture, not just the warm, cuddly, nice parts, not just the parts that I like, but there's parts like this when it talks about, you know, women being ravaged and, and it talks about babies on the rocks and we have to go, what? What are you saying, God? What, what can I learn? What do I need to hear? How does this help form me? How does this help make me into the man of God fully and thoroughly equipped? And again, like I said, I, I, I'm certain for some of you, Maybe you're not there yet, but you will be. You're experiencing some anger in the midst of disbelief and sadness. And you need to learn how to deal with it. And if it's not now, it eventually will come some way. Is there a right way to be angry? Is there something productive that we can do with our anger? Let's see what the scripture has to say. And I think Psalm 137 has a lot of instruction. 
And the first thing that you see here, the first point is this, is do not, don't suppress your anger, but acknowledge your anger. The writer of this psalm, he shows us that he's not stuffing it down, but he's obviously writing it, sharing it. He's expressing, he's acknowledging it. He's owning, if you will, his anger. He's owning it. Now, a little context would, would help us. The context for this psalm by the rivers of Babylon it's perhaps one of the most traumatic periods in the Old Testament period, uh, experiences of the people of God. They've had their collective, you know, uh, air sucked out of them. Now the prophets had been warning them this was going to come for over a century. That, Repent, quit your idol worship. If you don't, this is going to come. And they, they heard it, but they weren't prepared. And the scriptures tell us when we read about it, when it finally happened, when Babylon invaded, it just, it sucked the life out of them. Because the kind of uh, exile they experienced, it was, was brutal. When the Babylonians came, they were a horrible people. They made ISIS look tame. The, the, the kinds of atrocities that they committed against the temple, against the people of God, against the women, against the kids. That's what the, the eyewitness, listen, we are hearing the account of an eyewitness. The person who writes this psalm, it starts off with we. There's a group of people who have lived through those terrible events when Babylon invaded Jerusalem and are continuing at this point to live in a foreign land, dealing with the, the mocking torments of their captors, demanding, hey, 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 sing us one of those songs. You know those, those happy songs of Zion? I hear you humming them. I, I've, I've heard they're famous. Why don't you sing us one of those ditties? Sing us one of those songs. And think about you. You're one of those people who's been led captive after you, you personally witnessed your best friend murdered, your wife taken, taken a slave. And I won't even give you the rest of the imagination. You know what could have and did in fact happen. Maybe it was your son, your daughter that was ripped from your hands and smashed. That's what this psalmist and those who are experiencing this are processing. It's in a foreign land by the rivers of Babylon, a land very different from the hills and valleys of, of Israel and of Jerusalem. The manicured and, and engineered canals, they're in a foreign land with a foreign tongue, a foreign people, and they're demanding that we sing a song, and they refuse. Interesting enough, history tells us during the Nazi death camps, the Nazi soldiers tried to do the same thing. Hey, sing us some of those songs, Hava Nagila and this and that, and all an attempt to demoralize, to strip them of their identity and to bring absolute humiliation, to, to, to rip away the last remnants of any hope that they had. And that's what was happening here. And the response in all of that is absolutely incredible. When we think about that as the context, as the backdrop for such hatred, you are in Babylon. Put yourself there. You've been ripped away from your home. You've seen your loved ones ravaged and destroyed. How are you going to respond? The writer of this psalm responds in a pretty incredible way. Because he's not a cynic. It's not a person at the end of it all who is defeated Though he is humbled and in a sense he's broken, he's not a defeated man. Is he angry? Oh yeah, man, he is angry. But has he given up? No. He doesn't just simply cynically go along, fine, give me the harp, I'll sing a song, make you happy. No, there, there, there's a protest within him still. I am angry and I will stay angry about the violent injustice that has been committed. I will not sing, I will not do this. It says we hung up our harps or our lyres on the trees, we put those away. 
Listen, he hasn't given up faith. He hasn't given up hope. There's a desire, there's a belief that God has, is going to hear that, that Jerusalem one day will be his and his people's again. You see, he's acknowledging his anger. It's, it's very evident. It's right there in front. This guy is angry. There's no secret about that. And for some of you, some of you Christians, you've been taught or you've been told and for a variety of reasons that anger is something that you always should deny, you should suppress, you should get rid of. And certainly there's a form of anger. And, and, the, and the reality is a lot of times anger gets out of the box. It's like a fire. It destroys. It's like a cancer and it spreads. And there's a whole message in and of itself that talks about the sinfulness of our anger when it's left unchecked. But tonight I actually kind of want to focus on the healthy and the right expression of anger. I want to tell you tonight that you should be angry at times. And if you're not angry, then something's wrong. The psalmist is telling us, no, it's right to be angry. There are injustices. There's, there's a fallen world. And at times we should be angry over the right things at the right times. We just have to know what to do with it. And for some of you, you've, you've been told to stuff it and it doesn't go away. It's just smoldering. It's like trying to deal with this fire of anger and you're I'm, I'm going to deal with it like it's like a fire in a wastebasket. The wastebasket's on fire and you're going to throw it in the closet and shut the closet door hoping that it'll go away. No, eventually the whole house is going to burn down. And for some of you, that you, 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 you're just always happy and you're just always nice and nothing's ever wrong and you're like Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Howdy, neighbor. You know, it's like, listen at times and maybe at this time that we are in right now is a time of anger. You have to learn how to acknowledge it, not suppress it, to take ownership of it. Number one, it's a real emotion. It's an emotion that God has created us to have. And I'll say this in a second. It's an emotion that God has. There are things that, number two, we should be angry about. We should not suppress it. We need to learn to acknowledge it. We must learn to own our anger and see that, listen, it is not always wrong. In fact, there is a, a very right time to be angry. It says in Ephesians chapter four, it says, be angry and do not sin. I, I want to think about that. We, we typically focus on, and rightfully so, the back half of that. Do not sin. Be angry, but don't sin. Be careful. And again, there's a whole message on that. But I want to focus on the first part of that. Be angry. Because actually the way it's written is like, it's like a command. Be angry. <laughs> Be angry, but don't, don't sin. Be angry and, and know what to do with your anger. There's a time and a place where we should actually be angry. God is angry. And I can hear some of you saying, well, yeah, that's the Old Testament God. And I, I hate that whole line of thinking. There's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. It's, it's bad doctrine. Anybody who introduces that has, doesn't really understand God or the Bible. Yes, there's times in the Old Testament where God seems and, and, and he actually appears and, and is in fact angry. But if you Ever really read the New Testament? The God of the New Testament, Jesus, he is angry as well. When he goes into the temple, the place that is called a house of prayer for all nations, he is angry and he goes and cleanses it. I think of Mark chapter three, verse five, when Jesus wanted to heal a man with a withered hand and he encountered a bunch of religious people who, were, who sat in judgment and were like, what are you gonna do? It's the Sabbath. Are you gonna heal? Here's a man who's crippled and broken, a man who needs a touch from God. And those guys don't care about that. They're so hung up on their interpretation of the law. What are you going to do, Jesus? And it says this, and he, Jesus, looked around at them. What's the word? Anger. 
It says, Jesus looked at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, and I think he said it and he looked, he knew their hearts. He said, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus loved this man, but don't, don't miss that part. He was angry and he was angry at that religious, pharisaical, self-righteous hypocrisy. In fact, that word anger actually can be translated fury. He was furious. This is, this is our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who was kind, who was full of compassion and merciful and gracious, and he was angry. Listen, there are times when we should be angry. Anger is not the opposite of love. Anger, in fact, actually anger can be, and at times it's connected to love. It's an expression of love. When those that we love people and things, those things that we love are threatened, what is the response? It's anger. When your kids are threatened, when somebody comes around and threatens your kids, how are you going to respond? Now, let's talk about this. Let's, let's put this into perspective. No, you're angry and you're going to do whatever it takes to protect them, right? There are things in our life right now that are being threatened and there's some anger. And rightfully so. We are feeling it. We are expressing it. And it's, it's how we choose to do that. In fact, it was one of the church fathers, Chrysostom said this, Chrysostom, it's a hard word, tongue-tied. He said, he was not angry when he has cause to be sin. He said, listen, when you're supposed to be angry and you, and you, you don't and you're not, it's sin. We don't think along those terms. A couple of years ago, my family and I, we were down at Mission Bay with some friends. We were enjoying an awesome day. It was sunny. We were swimming. We were, it's back when we could actually be next to each other and actually picnic with families. We'll get there again soon. But just to the right of us was some, you know, group of young adults and they were partying, they had music loud. And, you know, they were for a time sticking to themselves fine. And all of a sudden it was obvious they had been drinking way too much. And they get into their, their pontoon boat and the girls, there's a couple of girls and it was obvious they had gone way too far. And the next thing I know, she jumps into the passenger seat of this pontoon boat and throws, because she's so drunk, she throws in reverse and almost backs over my kids who are floating in the water. And in that moment, I see the propellers coming at my kids. Listen, I was at Mission Bay. I think the border down near Tijuana and Chula Vista heard me scream. I was angry. My jugular, I was furious and I leapt to action. Why? Because the thing, the people who I love most in this world were threatened. Last night I was, I was on Twitter and there was an incident and so many of us have seen the, 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 the social and racial injustices in our country. And a lot of times people just turn a blind eye. It's not here, it's not there, it's somewhere else. But there was a, there was a, a new one that came out. And a, young, a young black man jogging in a neighborhood and these two men in a truck. And, and, and listen, we're going to pray for those who are prosecuting it, but it hadn't been prosecuted so this video gets released and I saw it. And listen, I was angry and my heart broke as this young man jogging was basically essentially murdered in cold blood on, on an intersection in, in a suburban neighborhood. And I saw that last night and I, I, I cried and I was angry. I was angry that something like that could happen in the world I live in right now. And I prayed and I brought that to the Lord. Listen, there are things in this world that should make us angry and we can't suppress that. We have to, we have to acknowledge it, but how we acknowledge it, what we do with it, that's, that's the next part. That's what's most important. And if you don't find yourself getting angry, that, that means you're not feeling what God feels because God feels anger at times. He, he's angry at sin. He's, he's angry at what it does to his kids. And at times we must feel and express and acknowledge and own that emotion. But number two, we don't vent, but we pray our anger. It's not enough to just go, well, I'm angry. 
<laughs> There's others on the extreme. Well, I'm just going to vent it. I'm just going to scream. I'm going to name call. I'm going to do whatever else. I'm mad. You know, it's like, okay, great. That, 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 that's not really productive either. Now we take our anger. We don't just simply vent it, but we pray our anger. Like, like a couple of weeks ago, we were told to pray our tears. We pray our anger. Years ago, it's a, there's a line in a U2 song that has always resonated, kind of just kind of, I've thought about often. And the line goes this, you've got to scream without raising your voice. And I remember hearing it for the first time and it was like, wow, what a line. You've got to scream without raising your voice. Well, sometimes you do actually need to raise your voice, like if an idiot's trying to run over your kids in Mission Bay. But how do, we, how do we scream? How do we express our anger when maybe without raising our voice? We do it in prayer. We bring it to the Lord. You see, in the midst of the pain and anger that the psalmist and those who are experiencing this captivity, what they, they, they did not give up faith. They did not lose hope. They actually turned to God. There is still a belief. And we hear, I can't sing these songs while I'm not in Jerusalem. And, and the, the belief is that God is going to hear and God is going to restore. And one day we will be back because God is faithful. We will be back in our promised land. And there we will sing these songs. Listen, the reasons that they, would not, uh, they wouldn't sing was because they, it's not, wasn't because they no longer trusted in God. No, they did trust and they did believe because their faith was so precious to them. They wouldn't just simply go through the motions. He admits his anger. He doesn't religiously say, well, I'm not angry. No, no, he's angry, but he's not just spewing. He's not just venting. He's not just name calling. He's remembering and he's bringing it before the Lord. Listen, he doesn't have the attitude that sometimes we are tempted to have and what Satan would like for you to think. Some of you think, well, I'm angry and I better stop being angry so I can pray. No, no, no. It's not, you better stop being angry so you can pray. No, it's, I'm so angry, I better go to prayer. Right now, some of you, you're so angry, you're thinking, I better stop being angry so I can all of a sudden get myself in a place and then I can pray. No, 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 no. That anger you have, it should drive you into the presence of God. It should drive you to a place of prayer. And Psalm 137, listen, it gives us permission. It invites us to say, yes, you're angry. And yes, you should and must pray it. Walter Brueggemann said this in one of his commentaries, it is an act of profound faith to entrust one's most precious hatreds to God, knowing that they will be taken seriously. Listen, God takes these things that we see, the injustices, the pain, the hurt. And when we bring them before him, it's a profound act of faith to say, Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to bring this before you and I'm going to be honest and I'm going to share it and I'm going to leave it with you and to believe that God is going to hear and do something about it. This is the kind of prayer that is born out of passion. This is a passionate prayer. We look at this and there's those that would want to judge a man like this. I can't believe you pray that. How uncivilized, how unchristian, you know. And the alternative for sadly so many people is this kind of lukewarm milk toast prayer. What's the greater sin? To not really feel anything, to not, to not really have a passion. You know, that's the greater sin. Jesus says, I, I can't do much with that. The only thing I can do with that kind of you know, blasé, indifferent type of um, approach is I spit it out. God welcomes, he invites, he's looking for people who are passionate, who will take their anger even and pray it and bring it before the Lord. Last point is this, you don't just simply pray, but it's how we pray. So don't plot your response, but you trust it to God. Don't plot your response. I, I, he's praying, but I want us to take note of how he prays and what he prays, because by doing so, he limits his anger. He processes his anger. So it's not just a sense, oh, he prays. But how, in fact, does the psalmist pray? What is he doing 
because it gives us a model, it gives us a clue, it gives us an understanding of how to pray our anger, to acknowledge it, to own it, but to not allow our anger to twist and deform and distort us, but to, to be real, but to leave it to God. There are limits to his anger. And you're kind of thinking, man, where are the limits? I mean, he's talking about Edom being judged. He's talking about Babylon getting what's coming to them. He's talking about babies. He's limiting. Oh, listen, he's limiting, all right. Because the whole psalm is really about the author of this bringing his case before God. He's bringing his case. And if you notice, there's several times where the author himself says, we remembered. May I never forget. He says in verse 6, if I do not remember. So he's thinking, he's remembering. But then in verse 7, he's asking God, now God, I won't forget. I'm remembering, but God, you remember. And so it starts from his remembrance to say, now God, you remember. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. Remember in the Bible isn't simply to recall. It's, it's a call to action. It's a call to respond. And so he's saying, God, you remember, you look on, you take action, you do something about this. And it's interesting, every commentator pointed this out. I read it through a few times. I didn't see it until they pointed it out, but he's making a, his case. It's almost like a courtroom where he swears himself in and then he presents evidence to God in prayer. He says this, he says, may my right hand, you know, be cut off if it doesn't, if I don't listen. And like basically the right hand is how we played the instrument. He says, may the tongue of my mouth cleave to the roof of my, the tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I forget you, O Jerusalem. He's like swearing. It's like he's swearing in and then he presents evidence. God, remember, listen, I'm bringing myself in my case before your courtroom, before your throne. God, you are the God who judges. You are the God who sees. And this evidence is twofold against two nations. First, against the Edomites. They were their ancestral cousins. They were their neighbors. And evidently, at some point, there was some kind of political alliance with the Edomites until Babylon invaded and Edom realized, hey, we're on the wrong side of this thing. And basically, Edom switched sides and said, go ahead. And they cheered on, burn it down, burn it down. And so the man remembers the cries of the Edomites as they were being led into captivity. Burn it down, let it burn, let it go. And he reminds God, God, remember what they said. And by the, the author doing that, this prayer is saying, Lord, remember, and you, you do something about this. You heard it, I heard it, you know it, I know it. Lord, remember. Beyond that, he brings a second piece of evidence and as he pre presents this evidence, again, this is an eyewitness account. Blessed is he who basically what he's asking for is, God, that they would receive what they gave out. The punishment that they meted out upon, upon Israel, Lord, may it come back for them. In that day and age, that was a kind of justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What he's simply praying and asking for is, Lord, what they sowed, may they reap. Lord, what they did to the women and the children, may it come back to them. Now, we'll talk about right or wrong, but that's simply what he's asking. But what is he doing? He's not saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get mine. Lord, empower me so I can take my vengeance. That's not how he's praying. He's saying, Lord, remember. Lord, you see, you know, you do something about this. God, you are the one who has all the facts you are the one who has all the power. Lord, you alone are, are, have the right to judge. You know, he's, he's careful in how he says it. Lord, you know, you remember. Because if, if we're not careful, we might be tempted to say, Lord, I just pray right now that everyone would get what's coming to them. Lord, I pray at noon today, 
everyone would get what's coming to them. Be careful and don't make plans at 1201 because that means you'd get what's coming to you. No, Lord, you know. He's taking his anger and he's reminding himself, God, you're a judge. You have perfect knowledge. You saw, you'll deal with it. Now, is his anger gone? I don't think so. I don't think it was, it was immediately alleviated. I don't know that it was immediately transformed. It could have been, but more than likely it was not. He was in that condition for a while. But what we do know is it didn't twist him up. It didn't deform him. It, listen, it didn't lead him to a place where he did sin. Remember, be angry and sin not. By him praying, he was angry, but he didn't lead, uh, allow that to lead him to a place of sin by taking matters into his own hands. See, listen, unless you limit your anger and release it to God, it will twist, it will deform, it will lead to all kinds of sin and destruction like a cancer. It will metastasize and it will destroy. We have to remember this. So the scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 12, it says this, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Listen, it's not up to us to take revenge. It's not up to us to exact vengeance. We leave that to the Lord. And in due time and in due way, God is just. He is fair. He will take care of those things. Now, having said all this, you you still may be shocked that a psalm like this is in the Scripture. Again, I just remind you, none of us have ever experienced the kind of pain, the kind of injustice, the kind of violence that this man obviously had firsthand witnessed. So let's be careful that we're not too quick to judge and to point a finger and to somehow look down. The Bible records this because it's important for us to hear and to see and understand that there is this kind of pain out there and that more than that, God hears and God sees and God knows. Did the man do the right thing? Absolutely. He acknowledged it. He prayed it. He, he even limited it. But is there more? Yeah, there's more for us. Why do I say that there's more for us? Because we have something the psalmist did not have. We know stuff that he did not know. Listen, we live on the other side of the cross. We, we have the story that tells us God entered into our world and did something about all of the injustice for all time. I was listening to a message on this and uh, a pastor pointed this part out. I'd never even considered it. He said, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which we celebrated just a few weeks ago, And Luke's gospel records this. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and he, Jesus, saw the city, Jesus wept over it and said, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus goes on and he says this, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the day will come upon you when your enemies, listen, he says, will dash you to the ground, you and your children, and they will not leave one stone upon another. You see, Jesus, he was saturated in Scripture. He was always quoting from the Old Testament and bringing it into the New Testament, bringing it into his life, bringing it into his present experience. And when he quotes this, what he says, he's quoting actually from Psalm 137. That word dash against the the, the stones is the exact same phrasing here. In fact, it's the only time it's used. And so what is Jesus doing? He's going back and he's recounting, on one hand, in the past, an eyewitness experience of brutality, Psalm 137. But he's also lamenting and weeping over another eyewitness at this point, future thing that would happen in AD 70. He's, he's, he's weeping over the eyewitness accounts that would happen when Titus invades, invades Jerusalem. 
when once again violence is, is perpetrated upon the people of God. When once again, sadly, like the Babylonians, the Romans would do the same thing. And once again, there would be dashing against rocks. And this time, though, what happens? What is Jesus doing? Jesus knows in just a week, this city, these people are going to commit the greatest injustice by shouting out, crucify. But he weeps. He weeps and they're on the cross. What is his cry? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's weeping over the people in the city that were about to destroy him. He's not angry at them, but he weeps over them. How, how is this possible? How is this change possible? How is Jesus less concerned about justice or is he less concerned about injustice? No, no, no. Timothy Keller says this. He says, is Jesus Christ less concerned with justice than the psalmist? Where is his anger? Let me tell you where it is. Don't you see the answer now to the psalmist? The psalmist says, what about our little ones, God? Shouldn't justice be done for our little ones? And he goes on to say, you can imagine the psalmist saying something like this. I stood next to my best friend and they grabbed his little one out of his arm, the son of his heart, and they dashed him to the ground. Shouldn't someone pay for that? And what is the answer from Jesus? What is the answer from the whole Bible? What is the psalm in context of Genesis through Revelation? What's the message that God is communicating to us over and over? Well, you know, injustice all depends upon how you look at it. No, no, no. No, the, the answer from God, the answer from Jesus, the answer the Bible shouts to us is this. On the one hand, the Bible doesn't anywhere, nowhere does the Bible ever say, even in the book of Psalms, even in the earliest parts, now let's go get their little ones, let's pay them back. No, the Bible never teaches us that. Let's smash them. No, 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 no. No, the message of the gospel is this, and I'm going to say it very clearly. The father says, of course, that has to be paid for. But you, under, you have to understand, my little one, the son of my heart was taken from me out of my arms. In an act of horrible injustice, he was dashed. He was destroyed. But we did it out of love. He did it voluntarily. I did it voluntarily. You are right. Absolutely. The psalmist is right. Sin has to be paid for, and we paid for it. My relationship to my son has absorbed it. I've lost it. That sin, that debt was paid for. You see, we can pray and we bring our anger, but we have the ability to respond ultimately different than even the psalmist did because we live on the other side of the cross and we understand ultimately what Jesus did. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And so we say, Lord, you see, you know, you act, you remember. God takes injustice very serious, far more serious than you or I ever could take it. Sometimes we, we say like the psalmist, how long, oh Lord? Listen, he sees, he knows, he is going to act. I remember years ago hearing the man who, who in deep pain, his wife had been unfaithful to him and he was just broken and he, he was so full of anger. And I remember hearing him sh shout and even just say, I want blood. I mean, he was just so full of rage and hurt. I want blood. Maybe you've been that angry. I want blood. You know what that's like. Listen, I want to say to you tonight for all of us, you want blood? Listen, we have blood. Blood has been shed for your sin, for my sin, for that sin, for the sins of the Babylonians where they're on the cross. Tonight, we can't ignore our, our pain. We can't stuff our anger. 
In fact, we need to say, Lord, am I, am I angry at the right things? Or am I angry at the wrong things? Is it selfishness and pride? Forgive me. And Lord, help me to be angry at the things that you are angry over. And may I take that and in prayer intercede. May I take that in prayer, lay it before you. And what the psalm reveals to us is it's a beautiful thing is that we can take a risk. Our prayer should be risky. What do I mean by that is sometimes we're so afraid and so calculated. Listen, take a risk in prayer to a father who knows and loves. And if you get it wrong, he's not going to smack you around. He's going he's to redirect. You know, we're so afraid sometimes of praying an inappropriate prayer. Psalm 137, we might think at least the last two verses, that's a little inappropriate. No, there's no such thing. If we come in a spirit of humility, we come in a spirit where we are honestly laying our hearts and our feelings and yes, our anger, especially our anger before the Lord. Listen, the Psalms teach us, we, we, we pray about the world that should be, but listen, we also have to pray in the world that currently is. We, we pray where we are. We don't stay there. We pray from where we are and we say, Lord, this is where we need to be. This is what's happened. This is reality. This is truth. But Lord, bring us to that place. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'll close with this last part. Psalm 137, it just kind of ends there. Boom. Oh, gosh. It just like verse 9, it just kind of lingers. But the Psalms, individual chapters are there. But the Spirit also inspired the placement of the Psalm. Because Psalm 137 is sandwiched between Psalm 136 and 138. And 136 is all about, you know, the goodness of the Lord, his steadfast love, his goodness endures forever. It's all about the deliverance of God. Psalm 138 begins right on the heels. You go from verse 9 into verse 1. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down to your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. See, Psalm 37 comes after the painful journey, experience the bitterness of Psalm 137, that peace of mind, that place. And for many of us, that journey from 137 to 138 can be a long, hard journey, but we have to make that journey in prayer. You've been hurt. God sees it. You've been hurt. Acknowledge it. There are real injustices. Yes, say it, acknowledge it, state it, but then bring it to the Lord and keep bringing it to the Lord till you come to that place in Psalm 130 where you say, God, I've prayed and you've heard. You, you've, you've strengthened me. You've strengthened my soul. Be angry and do not sin. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.